Welcome to Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. In this episode, I take you through the learning journey of Cam and Lynn and their dogs Molly and Max. Molly began snapping at Max since he turned six months old. Following that is the snippet piece, which talks about choosing a trainer or behaviorist based on professional skill set and your needs. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host, creator of Upward Dogology, and successful dogologist for over two decades. This is the sixth episode after the four-part miniseries and trailer. If you have not listened to those, you may want to because I refer to them in this episode. Welcome to the learning journey of Cam and Lynn and their dogs Molly and Max. Cam was semi-retired and Lynn had always worked part-time, mostly from home, and she continued to do this after their two children left home to attend university. Cam and Lynn had Molly for five years, and she was seven when they hired me. They got their second dog, Max, from a registered breeder as they felt they were in a good position to get a puppy. Max was six and a half months old when they hired me. Molly was good with people and dogs and regularly attended the off-leash park since they first got her. She was always an easy dog, good with people and children. She did not need treats to train. She was more of a routine and radar-driven dog, meaning she watched and listened and learned the routines and easily fit into their lifestyle. Molly and Max got along really well until Max got to be just about six months old. They contacted me because Molly was becoming aggressive towards Max. They said she was still good at the dog park and both dogs played there, and they often played in the home and the yard, and for the most part, they liked each other. So this was appearing to be more of an imbalance in dynamics as opposed to outright aggression. I asked the situation she snapped. There were three common times. One, when Max tried to play with Molly when she was relaxing beside Cam's chair in the evening, which was their routine, and they termed it their siesta time. The second time was in the car, and the third when getting prepared to go for a walk. I'm going to address the first and second reasons together because they are both dependent on factors important to Molly. Number one was when Max tried to play with her when she was sleeping beside Cam's lazy boy in the living room. I asked if this only occurred when Cam was in the chair. They said yes, so they thought she was protecting Cam. No, she was protecting her happiness. I asked if this was always at the same time of day. Yes, Cam Siesta, so this is a routine that is important to her. I talk about factors in my book. What is important to each dog is individual, and that determines their behavior. For dogs with Molly's personality, she doesn't care about a lot of things, such as her food or bones or which dog bed she sleeps in, but where she sits in the car and where she sleeps during the siesta time are her important factors. I learned about factors and how to read them in different dogs from having hundreds of dogs in my home in the mid-1990s. I have taught hundreds of clients how to determine each dog's individual factors and how to calmly manage situations involving them. The second incident Molly calmly snapped was at Max was in the car. When she was in the SUV with only Cameron Lynn, she sat on the passenger seat and Max was in the folded down part in the back of the SUV. When Max put his paws on the center console and tried to work his way up front, Molly snapped at him. This is partly protecting her important factor and also instilling the car rules that Cam and Lynn were trying to establish. The obvious solution is to seatbelt or crate Max. 
I leave that decision up to my clients. As you know, I work with hundreds of urban families a year for decades. They all have their own lifestyle and rules. In the case of Cam and Lynn, they do not use seatbelts or a crate in their car. I know many of you listening may feel this is the solution. However, I've been doing this too long to start telling people what they have to do. It often backfires and people don't want more rules. They want to learn how to adapt their dog to their lifestyle. As well as backfiring with people, more rules can backfire with dogs like Molly as well. She's been sitting comfortably and safely for years and changing that is not the best course of action. Of course, safety and being realistic on what dogs can adapt to based on their personality and skill level is necessary. So I'm on the fence. I mean, it's not a bad idea from a safety point of view, especially if Max cannot be still, but I'm not a fan of avoidance from a professional standpoint. My clients do not hire me to tell them to use restraints such as seatbelts or crates or to separate dogs when they are eating, for example. These may be temporary solutions for safety, but I do not consider avoidance to be a technique. We need to teach expected behavior and address the reason for the behavior. To use the example from the miniseries, be like Timmy stealing Sarah's french fries at the restaurant when he knows she hates it, and she asks him politely not to take them, but he doesn't stop, so Sarah then balances the menu between her plate and Timmy to defer the stealing, but he pushes it over so Sarah grabs his wrist and twists it. This, of course, is out of character for Sarah. Timmy knows that what he's doing is wrong and that he deserved that from Sarah, but he also knows his parents will give Sarah shit for grabbing him. Because Timmy has just turned four, he is working things through, but not necessarily in the direction he should be, according to Sarah, who expects him to listen to her and not be so pesky. When the parents step in, they provide Timmy with options as opposed to teaching or correcting Sarah's behavior. This allowed the behavior to change. As with Timmy, Max knew it was wrong to bug Molly, but as of turning six months, he didn't care. Prior to six months, he would, he would leave when she snapped at the chair, and he would sit quietly in the back of the SUV. And if he did try to sneak forward when she snapped, he would return back to the back of the SUV. So in the situations in number one and two, the reason for the snapping was to protect the factors that were important to Molly and manage situations. By correcting her behavior after she reacts, this would increase the chances of her snapping because she thinks Cam and Lynn are not getting it. She knows she's allowed these factors, being on the passenger seat and laying beside the lazy boy, so telling her she cannot protect them makes no sense to her. Restraining Max in the car or during siesta time by putting him in a crate is not teaching expected behavior. And like dogs and a gentle leader, the tool is doing all the work and Molly would know this. Instead, we increase Cam and Lynn's ability to work with Max in all situations and this in turn solve the issues in the car and during siesta. We started teaching opportunities and then applied the transferable skills to situations. One of those situations was during the third example when Molly snapped getting prepared to go for a walk. In this situation, Max is not well-behaved. He is jumping and barking and spinning. I explain that Molly knows the proper or expected behavior for getting prepared. Remember, Molly is a routine and radar dog. Molly literally saw Cam and Lynn unable to teach Max the routine or expected behavior. Lynn told me Max had always been that way. He's always been jumpy, even under six months. Yes, but at six months old, other dogs expect dogs to get with the program. 
Max probably could sit when he was younger, which, although very basic, was showing Molly that Max was listening. Cam and Lynn confirmed they could no longer get a sit, or it was useless because he wouldn't stay or wait. The important part is that Molly sees Cam and Lynn calmly managing this activity. To do this, we need to advance from a basic sit and apply exercises using opportunity-driven rewards and the cognitive side of his brain to allow him to learn that he will achieve his goal by following proactive direction from Cam and Lynn. We are literally replacing his chosen behavior of jumping and barking and spinning with acceptable behavior. Max quickly learned to be calm in many situations, including the walking preparation routine. This naturally resulted in himself opting to not bother Molly at the chair or in the car. Essentially, we did not directly address the chair or car issue. Because we reached the cognitive side of his brain, he chose to not bother Molly. Remember, he knew it was wrong to do that behavior. He was just choosing to do it. We did not need to teach Max it was wrong. Molly did that. We needed to provide him with the ability to choose not to do it. We changed Max's perception of his peeps, and we changed Molly's perception of Max. By taking this approach, we did not need to instill rules, establish boundaries, use restraints, increase restrictions, or uh, apply avoidance techniques. Be less controlling, have more control. That is one of the approaches of upward dogology. The snippet pieces on choosing a trainer or behaviorist. I find it amazing what people look for in a trainer or behaviorist. For example, training police dogs or sled dogs or hunting dogs or dogs for film or agility or trick trainers or obedience or show dog trainers or breed specific trainers. All of these are reputable professions, but they are not necessarily what you need. The first thing you want to do is determine your needs. Do not think about your dog's behaviors or problems. Think about your lifestyle and your dog's personality. Secondly, think about the skills the trainer has and what they are teaching and if that is correlative to your goal, your lifestyle, and your dog's personality based on natural personality and history and experiences. Here's an example. Clients who have gone to obedience training classes or had a private trainer who is structured and rule-oriented have dogs who automatically sit at street corners, commonly for a treat, but the dog breaks the position when they move their feet. This is a problem when addressing leash reactivity, aggression, or anxiety, or just wanting to open their front door to get a pizza delivery. Additionally, we do not want the dog to have to walk on one side only, such as the left side. That is restrictive and unrealistic in urban areas and not always comfortable for the dog if they are reactive, because initially it is best to have ourselves between them and the stimuli. So sometimes the obedience training is just a little too restrictive for what my clients are looking for. Another example is agility trainers. They commonly have border collies or herding type dogs, which are known for their excellence at agility and trick type training, which is great. I'm really impressed by agility trainers and dogs of all breeds can enjoy it. However, working with dogs like that, that have the agility and treat based direction is a lot different than working with the clients and dogs I work with. Agility trainers and and trick trainers often rely heavily on treats and routines because this is exactly how and what they are teaching. Treats and routines are not transferable to addressing aggression, anxiety, and the behaviors that result from those such as biting, leash reactivity, or messing in the home. Breed-specific trainers are knowledgeable on that breed. 
I often suggest researching breeds consider polar opposite and see how many similarities there actually are. Often unwanted behaviors are justified based on breed when in fact those behaviors are common in lots of dogs. I never ask the breed before working with a client because it really doesn't matter. Some dogs are prone to behaviors based on their personality, which personalities can be correlated to breeds. But the point is, it is the reason for the behavior that needs to be addressed. Aggression has nothing to do with breed. However, it can be more common, for example, for a chihuahua to, to display aggression due to fear, whereas a herding dog is more likely to display aggression due to feeling the need to manage a situation. Having said that, tomorrow I'll get a call from a chihuahua owner whose dog is aggressive because she manages situations. Trainers or behaviorists who specialize in these breeds may or may not know how to address the reason for the aggression or know how to work with dogs in urban areas, despite knowing a lot about the breed. Police dog trainers are skilled at teaching specific skills. They commonly do this using commands, which is great. They start this process during puppyhood, and if the dog fails, he is eliminated from the program. If your dog is over six months, and in particular, if your dog has lived on the streets or has behavioral issues, their experience or their approach may not be correlated to your needs or to the dog's personalities. Trainers or behaviorists who live in the country may not be experienced at working with dogs in urban areas. Classroom-style trainers or group trainers do not work in a community-style platform and commonly have a generic program that your dog either passes or fails. So these are just things to keep in mind. The board and train style training has become quite popular and trendy. Commonly, people buy into this because they feel training their dog is too time-consuming or beyond their capabilities. If you prefer the board and train style, I suggest asking them if they take the dog to urban places and do activities that are correlative to your lifestyle. As well, make sure the trainer knows your goals and is not just using a regimented program that is generic for all dogs. I suggest making sure they have lots of experience, especially working with people and dogs in urban areas, because this is what you will be doing with your dog. And make sure they are not just using your dog as practice while they are taking a course or have just completed a course. When choosing a trainer or behaviorist, think of your needs and your dog's personality. And you may have more than one trainer. You could attend agility classes and also have a private behaviorist. When people ask me what my experience is and I answer, three decades of working with dogs over six months, teaching my clients how to calmly work with their dog and effectively address issues using cognitive behavioral therapy while working in urban places, I get that, what? Look, this is not a profession that is common, and it requires its own methodology and style. So if your dog is under six months, I suggest a trainer who uses positive reinforcement training, whether that's a clicker or treats or both. And if over six months of age, especially if displaying signs of aggression or anxiety, I suggest a professional who is skilled at applying cognitive behavioral therapy. Please follow me on Instagram, Upward Dogology, and on my Facebook page, which highlights my clients both hands-on and remotely. That is Doglogic Behavioral Rehabilitation. There are a few Doglogic pages, so make sure to get the right one. My LinkedIn is Billy Groom. If you are interested in working together or becoming a certified Upward Dogologist, you can visit my website, upwarddogology.com. My book, The Art of Urban People with Adopted and Rescued Dogs Methodology, is available through Amazon, most ebook retailers, and my publisher, Friesen Press. 
The music in this podcast series is generously provided by the Jeff Murtick Band off the album Outrun the Sunrise. They are a funky reggae blues band from Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. You can check them out on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy your learning journey. Oh